This man, also known as the worst president in United States history, loves ice cream, lounging on beaches and sniffing children. Joe. Uh, who is me? Wait, where am I? Hello, people, live once again from the free state of Florida in the best city in the world, Miami. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. It's February 7th, 2024. That's right. We survived a day in the swamp. I'll tell you a bit about the trip in just a moment. Uh, as always, we are live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals, post-game show, rubinreport.locals.com. I should note, everybody, that as of yesterday, we crossed one billion video views on YouTube. Uh, obviously, we want the majority of you guys to watch on Rumble and or Locals. Uh, if you can, and, and I think if you have the internet, you should be able to, uh, but that is quite a, quite a moment, uh, a billion views. That's an awful a lot of views, that's pretty great. And as I've mentioned a couple times in the last week or so, just every day, we're just we're just crushing every record that we have. So I appreciate that you guys appreciate a little decency and honesty and maybe a, a little comedy with your news. Um, real quick on the on the DC trip where we interviewed Rand Paul and Jim Jordan at the Capitol and Ted Cruz and Marsha Blackburn, and we got to wander around and see all the usual stuff. I have to say it was a bit of an odd day uh, to be there because there's two real themes happening in DC at the moment. Uh, one of them very specifically to, to what's happening right now is this, is this border deal, which is completely DOA, it's not gonna happen. A lot of nonsensical fighting about it. As you guys know, Biden already has the power to do something about the border. We already have laws about the border. This is just more nonsense and more money for Ukraine and everything else. But there was a real sense from all of the politicians that I talked to and, and almost everyone that I talked to everywhere, like none of it works, like sort of just like nothing is really working there. And I think that'll kind of get us to the theme today. And then of course, the second thing was just every time anyone brings up anything about Joe Biden, it's like, everyone's basically like, can you believe this? Can you believe that this is still continuing? Like the man, something is not right with this guy. And we're all just pretending that he should be president or that he's actually running the country or doing anything or is, is the driving intellectual force behind this administration, which is all complete nonsense. So I suppose uh, today we will peer behind that curtain and see what's really going on. Uh, I'm gonna connect that to some of the DEI stuff and uh, and a bunch more. Uh, you know, we've shown you a couple of videos in the last few weeks of Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, of course, from Shark Tank, tech billionaire, owns the Dallas Mavericks, and he's gone really all in on pushing for DEI. And the weird thing about it is that more and more people are pushing back against DEI now. Like people are realizing that racism against anyone, even white people or even Jews or even Asians, uh, that that actually is bad. But Cuban keeps diving in on it. And the more he dives in on it, the more he's going after Elon Musk and Twitter. And then we're gonna connect that to how when you have a series of bad ideas like DEI, like neo-racism, that you can actually kind of dent, dent if not do irreparable damage to a country that was founded on the ideas of freedom and liberty and individual rights, that we've allowed the monster into the house. The monster has done a whole bunch of damage and it is time to kick the monster out and start cleaning up the house. Uh, and I think if you do that, you might start thinking for yourself. You might start putting some of the pieces together and live a good life. Let's see what happens here. Uh, so over the weekend, uh, Mark Cuban was at a conference claiming that ex-users who are pushing back against him uh, for defending DEI, well, 
Surprise, surprise, they're anti-Semites. You know, social media has changed. It's no longer social. And since Twitter became X, I mean, like I, I was telling you, Yasmin, like when I get Jew ban, I get you're not white, you're, you're Jewish. Um, I get tell the Jew to shut the f*** up. I, you know, and I just bookmark them. Twitter has become just a cesspool for hate. And so trying to go there and change people's mind, I mean, I've seen people try, and then everybody just gangs up. And Instagram, just people avoid it. And then same with LinkedIn, it's just not that platform. Social media, I don't see as being that place. I think you've got to go face to face. You know, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd rather, that's why when I have these conversations, I go where I know people are going to disagree with me. You know, whether it's DEI or whatever. All right, so first off, you guys know I like to give the devil his due. How many times on this show have I said that social media has not made us more social, it has made us more antisocial? There is something to be said for that, right? We stare at our phones constantly. Uh, we are not connecting with real people. We now know that young people are, are full with anxiety and suicidal thoughts and confused about their gender and all those things. So all of that is kind of right. Social media has done something very weird to us. I suppose when sociologists 100 years from now look back at the time from say around 2002 to right around now, they're gonna be like, boy, that was a weird time where humans really kind of flipped into the digital world and spent more time staring at a screen than living in real life and all of those things. So that that's legit. Now, related to the hate thing, there is a ton of hate online. I, you're not gonna believe this, guys. People say mean things about Dave Rubin every single day. Mostly, most of them work for me. But even online, they say mean things, and it is what it is. They make, they'll attack you for your religion, they'll attack you for your gender, for your sexuality, all of those things. The idea that it's somehow worse under Elon, I don't think there's any empirical evidence of that, but no one's forcing anyone to be on any of these platforms. Also this idea that like, you're not white, you're Jewish. I mean, that sort of fits in with the DEI thing that he is defending. I mean, the, what, what has so many people annoyed at Mark Cuban right now is he keeps defending, saying that he wants to use the ideas of DEI in his companies and that he does, which actually might get him in legal trouble because you are not allowed to discriminate against, uh, against anyone based on skin color, et cetera, when hiring. Uh, he made a point a couple days ago on Twitter to say something about if you had a, a room of bl 30 black women, would that be a great idea at a company? And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure not all black women th think the exact same thing. Do you think that Candace Owens and say Sonny Hostin think the same thing? So they happen to both be black, like work this through with me, Cuban. Anyway, so yes, Cuban's getting a lot of hate because people push back on bad ideas. And yes, there are bad actors and anonymous people and say people say mean things that has led him to now block Elon Musk on Twitter. I always looked at DEI as being positive. And I effectively said that in some posts on, on Twitter. Elon called me a racist. Mark Cuban is a racist. So I thought for a while, I'm like, okay, what should I say back? What should I say back? What should I say back? You just said, I mean, you started re replying to my question. You said, I want to mess up. I want to fuck Elon. I want to mess up with him. I mean, it, this is a really, it's, it's a massive platform to just prank a friend. Well, it's his or, platform. Yeah. It's like walking into someone else's house or restaurant, right, and saying, you know, I know this is your game and it's all your rules. But, you know, I thought about it for a minute and I said, okay, there's only one thing I could really do that would send the message I wanted to send. So I blocked him. <laughs> He can take it off, no? He can remove the block. I don't know, I don't know if he has, right? I don't care, but. Um. 
Oh, you blocked him. He makes a point. Now, look, calling people racist, it doesn't really get most of us anywhere, but they had been going back and forth for quite some time. We covered some of it on the show. At the end of the day, uh, racism against white people is bad. Racism against Jews, against Asian people. Racism against any group of people is bad. Mark Cuban is saying that he uses the ideas of DEI in his companies to hire. Now, we brought up the point, and many other people did. And by the way, before, you know, he keeps saying that all these people are saying mean things to him. I saw tons and tons of people, like Libs of TikTok and Chris Rufo and some other people we're gonna talk about later on the show, and, and myself included, who were respectfully reaching out to him and saying, actually, Mark, you're a little confused as to what DEI is is and how they you're using the word equity in a way that you don't think they're using the word equity and everything else. So the question is who are the real racists? Is it the people that are pushing DEI or is it someone like Elon Musk who wants a society built on meritocracy and everything else? And Elon Musk, who by the way is uh, African-American and treated quite poorly by the mainstream media. We'll get to that on the other side. Let me talk to you guys about Truly Office. Guys, are you a listener of the Rubin Report who values digital independence and privacy? Trulyoffice.com hears you. That's why they're offering a special 30% off for our audience. Truly Office is more than an office suite. It's a statement against the mainstream tech narrative. No ads, no tracking, only privacy. How will that change the way you work? At an average, Truly Office is saving an average American 82% off their yearly subscription costs, a $24 one-time payment versus $149 for the bloatware the guys at Microsoft charge us every year on a monthly subscription. Use code RUMBLE30 at trulyoffice.com slash rumble and take control of your digital workspace today. And now back to me. Okay, so again, when I, when I play these clips of Elon and Mark Cuban or Bill Maher or Joe Rogan, some of these guys, it's like, all right, what's the point of talking about these people? It's not exactly what's happening in the political world, but politics is downstream from culture. These are the tastemakers that get everything going on in the world, right? So a quick tweet from uh, Elon Musk about all exactly what we're discussing right here. Uh, DEI is racist and sexist. And of course, it is if you hire somebody or don't hire somebody based on the color of their skin or their gender or their sexuality, it is. But don't take my word for it. What is the definition of the word racism? Could we get that up there? This is on Google itself. Racism, prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism by an individual, community, or institution against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. Uh, I do wanna make note that the last part of that, typically one that is a minority or marginalized, that seems like a bit of a new version of a definition of racism. If you see a bunch of white people over there and you're like, those white honkies, I'm not gonna blah, 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 blah you're racist. If you see a bunch of Asian kids and you're like, you know what? I work at Harvard and I'm gonna make them work a lot harder and have much higher grades and we're gonna take way less of them than say a bunch of black students, you're racist. If you uh, are an administrator at University of Pennsylvania, let's say, and you're like, yes, yes, they can chant to kill all the Jews, you're still racist. So this, this oppression part and this minority part also shows you how insidious all this is. Um, interestingly, Mark Cuban, who owns the Dallas Mavericks, he apparently doesn't use DEI when it comes to hiring uh, basketball players. What were the numbers on that? There are 18 current players on the Mavericks, and, I, and two, only two are white. 
So that really does make, it's almost as if when it really matters and you're really doing something based on skill, that uh, DEI out the window. But speaking of the NBA, uh, the WNBA, which is the women's basketball league, I'm a big fan, you know, uh, they had this little conference on how they're doing diversity hiring over there. I thought you might enjoy this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of our teams are really doing a great job and, and there's been a focus from the league to help push diversity hiring practices, um, when co particularly when coaching and um, front office vacancies occur. Um, so there is a diversity hiring task force mm -hmm. that's taken place, and or sorry, that, that has been kind of uh, organized, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and so the work there is to try to make sure we have better representation of people of color, people of various kind of gender experiences, if you will, um, in these roles. We definitely need people of various gender experiences. That's a new one for me. Gender, what, what are you experiencing gender-wise today, Connor? Still male, still, you're consistent. That's why we keep you around. Um, first off, that woman is white. And it's like, lady, stop telling me, show me, step down and get me a gender queer black woman up there because come on, lady, it's enough, it's enough. Uh, also, if they really care about diversity at the WNBA, Find a straight woman to play in that league. They're all lesbos. That's just how it is, okay? I don't mean that to be racist or any anything else. It's a lot of lesbians. We should we need to think about that and get more straight women playing in the WNBA. We should have some dudes playing in the WNBA. That would be diverse. Anyway, if you want to see how the, the level of, of it's, it's stupidity, but it's it's dangerous stupidity, right? That that infects virtually everything when it comes to DEI and this neo-racism. Uh, here's Mayor Eric Adams from New York, a once great city, a city I lived in, that at times, there were times in the, in the uh, mid-1900s that my family had over 100 family members living in New York City. I have one cousin left. Everybody has fled. There are no Rubens left in New York City, and I'm pretty sure that cousin doesn't talk to me because she's a lefty nutbag, which is why she stayed. Anyway, um, <laughs> Eric Adams, uh, he's very, very excited because even though there's crime, it's rampant, and the, migra the migrants are destroying the city, and businesses have fled, and all the rich people are leaving, and all of that stuff, uh, the important thing is uh, he's got a lot of black people in his administration. Stand up. They need to see you. Deputy Mayor Williams Ison, Deputy Mayor Mira Josie, Deputy Mayor Amazar, Deputy Mayor Maria Torres Springer. Have you ever seen this much chocolate leading the city of New York? And then go down the line. Look, look who's here. This is representative of the city. That's why people are hating on me. You trying to figure out? Why they're hating on me? They're hating on me because those who, how many of you go to church? Ma'am, this is a Matthew 21 and 12 moment. Jesus walked in the temple. He saw them doing wrong in the temple. He did what? He turned the table Came over. I went to City Hall to turn the table over. First woman police commissioner of color. First Spanish-speaking police commissioner. First Spanish-speaking uh, uh, correction com com commissioner. Go through the line of what we're doing. There is so much insanity there. They're attacking him 
because he's turning the, the board and all the people he works with into chocolate. First off, I just want to say I'm very proud of the white chocolate that we have in this room. White, 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 Asian back there, which again, I, why we keep the Asian guy in a separate room, we're working on it, we're working on it. It's a, we're a big company here. It takes things to, to get through the system. Anyway, he tells you how diverse and great and how proud he is of his chocolate. There's 23% of New York City is black. So he's telling you about the diversity while showing you all of these black people. I don't care that they're black. It doesn't matter. Are any of these people capable? Are any of these people competent? Is the black female police chief competent? No, it's ab. And then he compares himself to Jesus. Jesus H. Christ, what are we doing? What are we doing? So, okay. And then, and then of course, what it all boils down to really at the end is does this man uh, do his job properly? Does the, does the system function? So imagine if New York City was thriving right now. Imagine if all there, there was, there was all this economic activity, there were, they were building things, uh, industries were coming in, uh, people felt safe on the streets, there weren't drugs and homeless and everything else. Well, then I guess if I was complaining about all this stuff, you might be like, Dave, enough. Like, it, it's working. But everywhere that these ideas take root, it, it destroys pretty much everything. And by the way, that is now being, it is being literally federalized. It is being exported throughout the entire country. Check this out from the libs of TikTok account. This is a current job listing for an on-air traffic controller on the FAA's website. Uh, they're saying that it's open to people with disabilities, including psychiatric and intellectual delays. Uh, and as she wrote, doesn't it make you feel safe knowing your air traffic controller can have an intellectual disability or have a seizure while directing your flight? DEI will get people killed. Literally, if you look at some of the highlights there, it includes speech impediment, what is that? Psychiatric disorders, severe psychiatric disorders. This is insane. And as we talk about all the time, and Charlie Kirk got in a lot of trouble with about this a couple of weeks ago with some of the mainstream media people. If you say to a certain set of people, you can be less qualified to get into this school, and you can be less qualified to get into the grad school, and you can be less qualified to get the job after that, and et cetera, et cetera, and then move up the ranks once you have the job, you will, you will slowly degrade the entire system. Planes will fall out of the sky, surgeons won't know how to perform surgery, you're gonna have literally a, a person with a psychiatric disorder who also has trouble speaking, trying to explain to a plane why they shouldn't land because there's a plane on the runway already. But that is what it, we are doing. So let me connect that, of course, to what was up top. So up top was Mark Cuban basically saying he is getting hate because he is for DEI and DEI is not discrimination. I think we've laid out the case many times on this show that DEI actually is uh, what discrimination is all about. It's neo-discrimination, you know, masked in, well, we're nice and diverse and all of those things. But the truth is, once you are on the side of DEI, you are the ones that are on the side of hate. And I'm going to lay that out after I talk to you about RAMP. Guys, running a business is tricky and you have to stay on top of every little detail across expenses, payments, and accounting. Who can you use to make, or, or who you use can make or break you and you need the best. Ramp is a complete game changer and saves you time from getting trapped in busy work while maximizing productivity and cutting wasteful spending. Ramp is a corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. In fact, businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% in the first year while using them. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. 
They're also easy to use, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes. Whether you have five employees or 5,000 employees, Ramp will save you time and money. Get $250 when you join Ramp today. Go to ramp.com slash Rubin. That's R-A-M-P dot com slash Rubin. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members, FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to me. So just real quick, in case you forgot where we started on this show, let me show you a condensed clip of Mark Cuban explaining where hate's coming from these days. When I get Jew ban, I get, you're not white, you're, you're Jewish. Um, I get, tell the Jew to shut the fuck up. I, you know, and I just bookmark them. Twitter has become just a cesspool for hate. Why, why would you bookmark them? If someone told me to go F myself, you think I wanna bookmark that so I can go look at it later, like I'm about to go to bed? Who, who told me to go F myself today? Uh, but okay, so he is the guy defending DEI and then he's saying, boy, look at the mean things that people say to me because I'm defending DEI. Well, how about we actually look at the real results of once DEI becomes institutionalized? I think you'll recognize former Harvard president Claudine Gay at her wonderful congressional hearing when she couldn't decide whether calling for the death of Jews was good or not. And Dr. Gay at Harvard does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of antisemitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. That line, that line, I know you've heard it a million times, but that line to say when it crosses into conduct is one of the craziest things ever. Uh, again, this had nothing to do with the First Amendment, right? It wasn't about the government stopping anyone from speaking. This was about Harvard applying their own uh, policies uh, related to speech and how students are supposed to treat each other. And it was only when it crosses into conduct. Once we, we have just killed a couple Jews, now we're gonna have a real meeting over this thing. Uh, but anyway, the point of that clip was to show you that, yes, it is not nice that people say mean things about Mark Cuban. And I'm sure when he is swimming in his billions, it's probably very upsetting. There's no doubt about that. Like, I wish we had a clip of uh, Scrooge McDuck swimming in his billions. Could we get Cuban's head on him? I remember he'd dive into the cash. Um, that, that's one thing, that's upsetting. But the point is that the very idea that he's defending, the ideas of DEI, Look what they do once they are institutionalized. We know exactly what they've done at places like Harvard, virtually all of our places of higher learning. And then what does that do? It leaks out so you have a brainwashed generation of young people who are out on the streets supporting Hamas, a genocidal uh, terrorist organization that is doing far worse things than the people who are saying mean things to Mark Cuban. And then of course, we also elect leaders who are all in on these terrible ideas. So I wanna show you uh, a clip just from yesterday, Congress. We have uh, two of the premier members of the Hamas caucus. Here's Rashida Tlaib and AOC. And uh, well, just listen to some of their, I mean, this is just psychotic rhetoric, but these are people whose minds have been muddled by the oppressed oppressor narrative. Here we go again, sending $17.6 billion, US tax dollars, 
with no conditions attached to Netanyahu's extremist government to drop more bombs on innocent Palestinians. The Israeli government has already killed 27,000 people. 11,500 of them were children. I'm tired of my colleagues coming to me whispering, I don't really like Netanyahu. Well, then why are we sending him billions of dollars with no conditions? He literally is telling us over and over again what his intention is. So I'm tired. I oppose Netanyahu's war crimes and want him gone too. But many of my colleagues that continue to tell me that do not want to condition the aid. They give it to a genocidal maniac. I thank the chair. Mr. Speaker, more than 1,200 Israelis were killed on October 7th, and 136 remain hostage. In response, 27,478 Palestinians have been killed, 70% of whom are women and children, and most Gazans today cannot reach a fully functioning hospital. This is not war. This is slaughter. And yet, after all this destruction and devastation, the Netanyahu government is still nowhere close to their stated objective of destroying Hamas. Okay. All the things that I want to say about them will get us kicked off YouTube and everywhere else, which is why we're on Rumble and Locals, but let me just stay on YouTube. Okay, fine. They understand nothing about war. They're lying about genocide. There was a ceasefire on October 6th and everything else. But the way I'm connecting that psychotic over-the-top rhetoric to everything else I'm talking about is they've decided who the good guys and bad guys are. They also, it, when, when I say they understand nothing about war, to be like, well, they killed X amount of your people and look how many people there. In, in a war, when you wanna win, you, you gotta win. You gotta win, that's just reality. And don't think that if given the opportunity that Rashida Tlaib and AOC wouldn't, wouldn't be happy to take out all of their enemies and, and God forbid they ever get the power to do those things. So the point is, why doesn't someone like Mark Cuban speak up against these people on his own side? When you see Rashida Tlaib and AOC, they're the end result of a society that has pushed forward DEI and the oppressed oppressor narrative, right? He's afraid actually to call people like them anti-Semites, which they actually are, and I don't say that lightly. How often on this show do I actually call someone an anti-Semite? But every now and again, you gotta call a spade a spade. But there's another reason for that, and the reason for that is that the left has also, while they've done all of this damage related to neo-racism, They've also told us, told us repeatedly for decades now that multiculturalism is the most important thing, right? That if we could just bring in more people and if we could just all look like this magical rainbow and all of those things and no ideas are better than others and none are worse than others, that things would be better. Except the problem is there are people, there are cultures that behave a certain way that can actually live with other cultures. And there are some cultures and ways of life that are not congruent with other people. And we've done a pretty damn good job of it for 200 plus years in the United States of America with our melting pot. But these people are now poisoning the pot. They, we had a beautiful soup and they have, they have started to poison it. So attacking DEI harms the left's implicit aim to make this country and its institutions basically into a giant shell corporation, right? Like, and, and how do we know this? Well, look at their stance on illegal immigrants. They want to just keep bringing them in. So when I say that they wanna make the United States a shell corporation, they don't care about the founding ideas of this country. They don't care about the ideas of freedom and law and order and all of those things. They just want to bring in more and more people to turn this country into an upside down banana republic, which will do pretty well for them. Uh, Liz Warren, uh, one 1,024th 
Native American Liz Warren, who said she was a Native American so she could get a job at Harvard, which is the most like perfect progressive thing you could ever do. Uh, she went on quote unquote comedian Stephen Colbert's show last night to explain that she's not happy about this border deal. And you might find that interesting. Why wouldn't someone on the left be happy with the border deal? Well, it's not doing enough for the illegal immigrants and migrants. In fact, it's, it's actually the bill the Republicans probably couldn't get under other circumstances. That's right. Because it doesn't have comprehensive immigration reform. It has border security. Well, and so here's the thing. It's got some really good pieces in it. It's got more resources for the border, which is good. It's got in it, for example, accelerated, it's got work permits in it. So people who are here, who are trying to get asylum, actually would be allowed legally to go get jobs. And that means, yeah. Pay taxes. They could, they could move out of shelters. They could pay taxes. And look, at least back home in Massachusetts, there are a lot of employers who really would like to have the extra help, to have the extra workers. So there's some good things in here. I also want to say there's some things that are really missing here. You remember back during COVID that one of the things we all talked about were the essential workers who kept us all going. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of undocumented workers. And I worked on a bill with a lot of other people to say, let's create a path to citizenship for these undocumented workers. Let's not, I don't want to bang a pan to say thank you. I actually want to say you have helped save this nation. You kept our food supply going, you kept our medical care going, you kept our trash pickup going. We are grateful and we will show we are grateful by creating a path to citizenship. Interesting, nothing about actually having a border, defending our border, who are these people and everything else. By the way, Elizabeth Warren's worth around $60 million. I don't know how many people she's giving that money to so that they can go, you know, you know, buy homes and things like that. It's like, share, lady, you're a socialist. Share, share. But again, this is what they are doing. Instead of ever talking about what would be good for Americans, it's always what's good for those. Oh, we'll give them a pathway to citizenship. We'll get them out of the shelters. It's like, wait, one thing at a time, lady. How about have a border first? How about we figure out who these people are and everything else? And also, COVID was a complete farce. I don't know if she knows that. Maybe we should, can we, can we send her an email on that? Okay, get that to her office. And, and the real farce related to COVID, of course, was that they told some of us that we are non-essential. And what is their implication? We needed, we just needed these illegals to be here to keep the country going during, like it's all just nonsense and it's done on a completely farcical, quote unquote, comedy show, but they push this everywhere. We showed you, this, this is gonna be a smaller portion of a clip we showed you last week from CNN uh, explaining that, uh, this analyst explaining that in New York City, you must have these illegals because how could, how else could we get food or gas or anything else? Well. It's so complicated because, you know, you're a New Yorker. You move through the city every day as I do. We see these people. We touch these people. They're out looking for work. They're delivering our food. They're at the gas stations and the car wash. Uh, I mean, these are people who came in waves, you know, 170,000 probably to New York City. All right, first off, dude, stop touching these people. That's number one. Number two, what are you implying? Are you implying that there aren't people in New York City that want jobs, that only illegal people will deliver our food and everything else? And, and if, if you are saying that, are you saying you want to keep, well, I guess we should then keep them in those jobs forever. None of it makes sense. The entire system is designed to to eat itself. So when I when I call it a shell game, it's like, what what are we, what is anyone standing up for anymore? Right, you've got senators like Elizabeth Warren, defend, you know, standing up for people who are not American. 
You have people like AOC and Rashida Tlaib defending terrorists. You have analysts on CNN explaining that only illegals can somehow deliver their food. And these are all thought of as the good guys. Let's go back to Eric Adams, because as you know, he created a, as if New York City doesn't have enough problem and hasn't had enough of their tax base disappear. He found a cool 53 million uh, so that he could give credit cards to illegals. I, maybe we could all take a trip to New York City after and pretend we're illegals and get some cash. Let's see. We're not giving people American Express cards. We are giving them a food card. So instead of a debit card, instead of having to deliver food and have people eat food that we were seeing waste in food, they're now able to get their own food. I mean, I don't even know what he's talking about. And trust me, there's a longer version of it. I didn't want to bludgeon you with it. You are giving, you are taking money from your legal taxpayer base, which again, is thinning out because everyone's leaving New York. And then you are giving it to illegals so that, how about you just say to the illegals, you can't stay here, but we know you're tolerant and you're diverse and you're full of chocolate. So you want as many of these people as possible and you wanna do it on the backs of your actual citizens. But let's continue because it's not just New York City. As I said, it's been federalized and it's expanding everywhere. Uh, here is Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. This is just yesterday explaining how immigration contributes to the labor force. She might be kind of right, but then we'll go a little further after. So um, the growth in the labor force is slowed. And I would say that at this point, um, immigration actually contributes a substantial amount to labor force growth as well. So um, the population growth um, with these demographic trends and immigration are the main ones shaping um, labor force growth. And um, that's part of the reason why our economy, um, it looks like its potential to grow at this point, unless there's a pickup in either labor force growth or productivity, looks to be in the neighborhood or maybe a little bit less than 2%, which is really lower than we're accustomed to by historical standards. Okay, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm the labor secretary or an economic expert here, but do you see the way they're using, it's a lot of doublespeak, everything that they do. First off, there's no distinction between legal immigration and illegal immigration, right? If you come to America and you come here legally and you work hard and you have hopefully family members here and a, and a path to a better life, that's what the whole freaking dream is all about. And, and virtually everybody on both sides of the aisle is for it. But they're confusing things right now where she's in essence, when she says we need more immigration for the labor force, she's basically saying because she works for Biden, right? She's in the Biden administration. We need more of these illegals to do a bunch of stuff like deliver our food, as the guy said before. Except are you saying that everyone in America has a job? Does everyone have that good job already? Like, it's just nonsense. But now I want to connect this to uh, something else because we've sort of shown you the how they're trying how they actually destroy companies and they destroy cities and they destroy culture with all of these bad ideas. And what that does is at some point America has no freaking idea what it is anymore, right? We're just this thing. That's why I said shell company before. We're just this thing that exists as the middleman for bad people to come in, take what they can and, and move on. And that is not good. And that is not what the founders intended. Uh, here's Tucker Carlson on the Theo Vaughn podcast. Uh, talking about how through wars and DEI and the rest of it uh, and illegal immigration that America no longer knows what it is. Why do we go along with that consensus a lot of times? What is it that makes us afraid to speak out? Like, let's go over war with Iran. 
It's like, what? Yeah. And I just feel like I have a moral obligation to say, I, I think that's really unwise. You don't want to, you don't want to go to war with Iran. <laughs> no, because I'm not insane. Yeah. That's insane. Oh yeah. Look, I'm not saying it is either. I don't think that we should be involved in a lot of this. You think? How's it helping? So. Is it helping you a lot? When I was a child, it felt like that. We were all Amer. It felt like we were united, that we were all like yes. Americans. I feel like that's been pretty heavily compromised pretty quickly even. Like America just feels like a shell company. Yes. That um, people just park their assets We're just here. an LLC yeah. for, for the world. For a lot of, yeah. No, and I mean. Have we always been that Of course though? not. It was a real country. It wasn't just an idea or some shell company or LLC. That's so nice. I'm stealing that, by the way. I hope this never airs so I can steal that. Yeah. One, there, one time I was talking to Tucker on the phone years ago and I said something about a protection racket, that the left is a protection racket, right? You call everybody racist and then you know it's a protection racket because then basically they're afraid to turn it on you because they know you'll turn it on them. And he said, I'm gonna steal that, I'm gonna steal that. And I was like, you can't steal that, you gotta credit me. He goes, I'm in cable news, we don't have to credit anybody. Cause it's kind of funny that he, he openly admits that that's kind of how the game operates. But anyway, that, that's a sidebar. The point is that all of these bad ideas, it leaves America as not much of anything. We go to wars that we're not sure why we're in the wars, right? We we bring in people and we allow them to suck our resources off. That sounded weird. While we, do, well, you know, the good person gets screwed. Anyway, here's Janet Yellen. You get it. So, so America is no longer like, it's no longer an idea or it's no longer a functioning country that the founding ideas work, right? We've allowed all of this stuff to come in and just take and take and take and take. And then what are you left with? You're left with a shell company that doesn't really produce anything, but just kind of exists for more people to, to take from it. Uh, speaking of which, they're constantly, while they're bringing in more of these illegals, right? Janet Yellen wants to bring in more to keep the labor force up. She also wants to uh, make sure that uh, the government will be watching you while you uh, legally transact with your friends and family, however you might go ahead doing that. Uh, check this out at a congressional hearing yesterday. Has Treasury, including FinCEN, or federal banking agencies like the Fed, FDIC, OCC, instructed financial institutions to search Americans' legal transactions in attempts to surveil their purchases. Well, we received a letter from you, I believe, on this topic, and we intend to investigate fully and to respond. Have you instructed banks have and financial institutions, institutions to provide this information? Well, FinCEN's job is to work with financial institutions to make sure Are they instructing them financial institutions to search Americans' legal transactions in attempts to surveil their purchases. I I promise a thorough look into everything. Well, this is really occurred. concerning. Lady, are you the one who has your job who might do something like that? So okay, so we're getting a non-answer as to whether the government is telling your bank that it can look into your financial transactions. Nobody's doubting, nobody's, well, I can't say nobody's doubting. You're allowed to do with your money as you see fit. And you're allowed to buy things and, and you're allowed to lend money to people and whatever else. What? Why does the government have put, allowed to put pressure on banks so that they can just open up the records 
on all of that. And again, I'm connecting that to everything else because they're constantly looking to screw you, right? They wanna take your money and give 53 million in, in credit cards to feed these people while you are doing whatever the hell it is that you're doing and you have your right to privacy and everything else and they wanna make sure that they can keep an eye on you for that. The next version of, of all of this, of course, is how they will try to regulate uh, crypto, and fortunately, at least as it stands now, crypto, which is end-to-end -end encrypted technology. So if you send Bitcoin to somebody uh, and it goes from your Bitcoin wallet to their Bitcoin wallet, the government has no way of regulating that, but they're working on it. Uh, and uh, here is Janet Yellen explaining to Congress that uh, they have got to figure out a way to do that because God only, we can't have these people just buying a sandwich for a friend. We're the government, for God's sakes. Council is focused on digital assets and related risks, such as runs, such as from runs on crypto asset platforms and stable coins, potential vulnerabilities from crypto asset price volatility, and the proliferation of platforms acting outside of or out of compliance with applicable laws and regulations. Applicable rules and regulations should be enforced, and Congress should pass legislation to provide for the regulation of stable coins and of the spot market for crypto assets that are not securities. We look forward to continuing to engage with Congress on this. With this overview, I look forward to taking your questions on. You get the point of all this. Why are they constantly trying find out more about what you're doing and figuring out more ways that they can regulate you and tax you and make sure that you can't send Bitcoin to a friend without them knowing why you did it, right? And it has nothing to do with, oh, because the government's just looking out, you might be doing something mean and you might be selling drugs. No, 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 you all know it. That's just the excuse to control every little bit of your life. And then while they're doing that, so while they're bringing in illegals and giving illegal stuff and checking out all your finances and, and taking your tax dollars and everything else, what are they also trying to do? Well, they're constantly giving money to countries that we have no freaking idea what they're doing if they're not bombing other countries. Uh, here's a tweet from yesterday, Janet Yellen, regarding the bipartisan agreement that now is dead uh, that Joe Biden was pushing. And as I said yesterday on the show, bipartisan just means everyone's getting screwed. Uh, she retweeted President Biden. She wrote, Congress should swiftly pass this bipartisan agreement, which advance, advances the national security of the United States. That includes by sustaining budgetary support for Ukraine, which underpins their valiant resistance and weakens Putin's ability to further threaten our NATO's allies. And she's retweeting the president who wrote, or obviously he's not allowed to hold a phone or tweet, uh, but somebody wrote this. Our bipartisan national security agreement allows the US to continue our vital work to stand up for Ukraine's freedom and support its defense. If we don't stop Putin's appetite for control, he won't limit himself to just Ukraine and the costs for America will rise. Now, understand that in this bipartisan deal that had something to do with our border where they're gonna let in 1.8 million illegals and a whole bunch of nonsense and we already have all the laws, there was also another 60 billion for Ukraine. Another 60 billion for Ukraine. And at the end of the day, if we give them another 60 billion and all of the planes and all of the tanks and all of everything else, and we push Putin into the corner, as I have said from day one of this war, he's got the freaking nukes. So how is it that 60 billion gets us over the hump that he just says, okay, I'm out, you win. I think you understand that that's actually not how 
uh, it's gonna work. So what is going on here with Ukraine? And I would disconnect that very obviously from all of the lies that Rashida Tlaib and AOC just said about Israel. Israel has a, an enemy on its border. They're not asking for troops or anything else. They're asking for military support so they can stop a genocidal organization from killing them. And by the way, they still have American hostages, which nobody talks about. It's as opposed to Ukraine, where it's very unclear what the goals are. We just keep pouring more and more money. And you might go, well, what's that all about? Check out this headline and you might kind of figure it out. BlackRock, JP Morgan and McKinsey working on Ukraine Reconstruction Bank. So they are going to put together a giant bank. You understand these, these giant conglomerates that own all of these assets and everything else. And I'm not even saying everything about them is evil. I'm just trying to show you what is going on here. The more that you can't, you can't, uh, the more that Ukraine gets demolished and destroyed, the more that these companies will come in for the reconstruction and somehow they will make a whole bunch of cash. Let's go back to Congress one more time uh, because there was another hearing yesterday uh, and this is Josh Hawley pressing global managing partner of McKinsey and Company over why they, and they're sort of like BlackRock and these other companies, why do they do business with America's enemies? Like, is that good for America? If we have these giant corporations that do business with say China and these other countries that are undermining American values, that doesn't seem great, does it? My question is, why should you be able to get any contracts in the United States government? If you're gonna advise foreign nations who are hostile to us and make gobs of money off of them, why should you be getting U.S. government contracts? Senator, we've never worked with the Chinese Communist Party or the central government in China, to the best of my knowledge. You're working with state-owned enterprises. This is, this is, China's not a democracy. They own these companies. These companies are doing the bidding of the Chinese military, and you're making money off of it, hand over fist. My question is, I guess if you want to do that, I, I guess it doesn't violate the law, but I just wonder why is it that you should then be able to turn around and make $850 million in one year alone off the American taxpayer? I mean, explain that to me. Senator, um, our work with the federal government, uh, we stand behind. Uh, we bring- Well, I'm sure you do, it's incredibly lucrative. That's the problem. You make gobs of money off of our enemies and then you turn around and you make gobs of money off of us. It's outrageous, frankly. You know, I know a lot of the congressional stuff that we show you, it's a dog and pony show, like not much of it happens, right? We can expose things, but not much happens after. But that's a particularly good moment because Hawley's right. When the, when the McKinsey guy, they get government contracts, right? So they get government contracts from the United States. So you as a taxpayer, you pay for these government contracts for McKinsey to do their reconstruction of Ukraine and all these other things. And then, and then at the same time, they work with other countries like China, although he says, we've never worked with the Communist Party, but as Holly points out, it's the Communist Party, they own all of the, the assets in China, all of these companies that you're working with, they own them. So they're taken from both. And as again, as Holly points out, it's like, yeah, maybe you can get away with it, but what do we stand for in America or are we just a shell company? That really is the question. So I would say the point of all of this is the more questions that you ask, just question the narrative, think for yourself, and then maybe we can shift the paradigm. So the big thing over uh, the last couple of days is that Tucker Carlson was spotted in Russia. And people started going, my God, is Tucker Carlson gonna sit down with Putin? Now, Putin has sat down with Western journalists over the years, and yes, it turns out that Tucker, I, the interview happened already, right? They haven't aired it yet, but it has happened, we believe, yeah. So it has happened already, they have not aired it yet, 
Uh, I certainly hope that Tucker uh, did not have to make concessions beforehand. What are you allowed to ask? What are you not allowed to ask? I hope that he will not edit it after, and I hope he didn't pull any punches. Uh, that will all remain to be seen, and I hope he will be as transparent as possible. Uh, but here he is explaining why he sat down with Putin. We're in Moscow tonight. We're here to interview the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. We'll be doing that soon. There are risks to conducting an interview like this, obviously. So we've thought about it carefully over many months. Here's why we're doing it. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Our duty is to inform people. Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. They have no real idea what's happening in this region, here in Russia or 600 miles away in Ukraine. But they should know. They're paying for much of it in ways they might not fully yet perceive. This war has utterly reshaped the global military and trade alliances, and the sanctions that followed have as well. And in total, they have upended the world economy. The post-World War II economic order, the system that guaranteed prosperity in the West for more than 80 years, is coming apart very fast, and along with it, the dominance of the US dollar. These are not small changes. They are history-altering developments. They will define the lives of our grandchildren. Most of the world understands this perfectly well. They can see it. Ask anyone in Asia or the Middle East what the future looks like. And yet the populations of the English-speaking countries seem mostly unaware. They think that as nothing has really changed. And they think that because no one has told them the truth. They are fawning pep sessions specifically designed to amplify Zelensky's demand that the U.S. enter more deeply into a war in Eastern Europe and pay for it. That is not journalism. It is government propaganda, propaganda of the ugliest kind, the kind that kills people. At the same time, our politicians and media outlets have been doing this, promoting a foreign leader like he's a new consumer brand. Not a single Western journalist has bothered to interview the president of the other country involved in this conflict, Vladimir Putin. Americans have a right to know all they can about a war they're implicated in. And we have the right to tell them about it because we are Americans too. We are not here because we love Vladimir Putin. We are here because we love the United States, and we want it to remain prosperous and free. Elon Musk, to his great credit, has promised not to suppress or block this interview once we post it on his platform, X, and we're grateful for that. Western governments, by contrast, will certainly do their best to censor this video on other less principled platforms because that's what they do. They are afraid of information they can't control but you have no reason to be afraid of it. We are not encouraging you to agree with what Putin may say in this interview, but we are urging you to watch it. You should know as much as you can. And then, like a free citizen and not a slave, you can decide for yourself. Thanks. Isn't that kind of right? Now, again, we should know what the, the, uh, the regulations were that Putin and his team we're asking of Tucker. So did they say, you can't talk about this, you can talk about this, we get to take things out and all that. And I do hope Tucker will be honest about that on the other side. You know, you may remember that when Tucker was still on Fox, he did a two-part interview with Kanye West and it turns out that Tucker's team did edit out some stuff that they didn't want out there. Uh, so, it, so Tucker does not have a perfect track record here. So I just, I'm putting that, just put that in your pocket and put that aside. But the, the grander narrative that he's talking about there, should we know more about what Putin's narratives are, we are at war. I know we're not declared at war, but if you keep funding a war, 
If you just give them another 60 bill and another 60 bill and another 60 bill for other people to fight, you are at war, right? We all kind of know that. that, that's actually the truth. We are watching the sort of post-World War II world order be completely upended right now. Should we not know more information directly from the players? It's not so that Putin can get propaganda out. It's, wouldn't, wouldn't you have wanted to know if there was an honest interviewer sitting down with Hitler pre-World War II or in the middle of World War II, wouldn't you want a good journalist to ask the right question so more people could have known what was really going on? Not as propaganda, but as truth. So, so about asking questions is not bad. Uh, being brave, you know, Tucker's putting his butt on the line here to go there. He knows this is gonna have a cost for him. It'll have some upside as well. Uh, Elon knows it'll have a cost for him. It'll have some upside as well. But that's the only way we're gonna shift the narr narrative and get out of this stuff. And by the way, when, you fight the good fight, you actually can shift the narrative. So I wanna bring this all home with the video that Chris Rufo uh, put up. You guys know Chris Rufo from the Manhattan Institute. He's been on the show a bunch of times. He has been the leader in taking out DEI. Not only that, but Claudine Gay from Harvard basically stepped down because Rufo started doing research on some of her plagiarism. They found over 50 instances of it. She's no longer the president of Harvard. So this is a guy who doesn't just talk about stuff, he goes ahead and does stuff, and then you actually shift the narrative. And once you shift the narrative, then companies, countries, and maybe the world order start ordering themselves in a different way. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? I am unveiling or revealing the game as it actually exists. It's really a, a devil's bargain that executives have made to make sure that their PowerPoints at the end of the year look a little bit better on demographics. They are really hiring people primarily by ideology. Christopher Rufo is a Bond villain narrating his own evil plot. I think tech companies are uniquely positioned to eliminate their DEI bureaucracies. Now that we're in a place where people can stand up and just say, that's bullshit. American greatness, American innovation and creativity, the principle of colorblind equality, the idea of having a hierarchy of merit, talent and virtue rather than victimology. So that guy who's fighting against neo-racism and has done more to destroy it than almost anybody else, he's thought of as the bad guy. Tucker thought of as the bad guy. Elon thought of as the bad guy. Are these the bad guys? That's for you to decide. <laughs> uh, speaking of bad guys, I had a very scary fellow, Ben Shapiro on the show. Part one is up across platforms. The full thing's on Locals already. RubenReport.Locals.com. That's where our post-game show will be in about 30 seconds. Uh, as you know, new Twitter account, Ruben Report Show, directly for our clips. Uh, we do now air the first few minutes of this show on Instagram, and then we try to get you guys to move over to the other platforms. So you should follow us at Ruben Report. We leave you with the elderly man pretending to be president. Goodbye. It is not an exaggeration. Uh, were it not um, for the leadership of the NAACP, for the men and women who educated me uh, when we'd sit over in Reverend Wright's church as we were talking about uh, the segregating the Rialdo and, uh, and the Queen movie theaters. Remember, Mouse, those days? Got involved in desegregated movie theaters and helping, you may remember Reverend Moyer in Delaware and Herman Holloway organized voter registration drives, coming out of black churches on Sunday, figuring how we we're gonna move. I'd go to eight o'clock mass, then I'd go to Reverend Herring's church where we'd meet in order to organize and figure where we were gonna go. 
whether we're going to desegregate the Rialdo movie theater or what we were going to do. No, I'm serious. I started a civil rights movement. I used to go to 7.30 mass, then I'd go to 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock services. The reverend who was then running the church is now the bishop. She's a bishop. I was not an activist. I was not out marching. I was not down in Selma. I was not anywhere else. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.